Uh, welcome to church this morning. I'm Pastor Carl, the lead pastor here at Anchor Church. Stoked to be with you guys. Um, whether you're in the room, whether you're watching online, if you're in the courtyard, you're in the kids' room, we just want to welcome you and we're just blessed that you guys are here this morning. We're starting a new sermon series and it's on Advent and it's basically the four weeks leading up to Christmas is basically in the church. It's the season of Advent and Advent is real simple. It just basically means coming or arrival of someone of notable worth or importance, someone or something of significant importance. And now we know the Advent season is us preparing our hearts, preparing our lives, our attitudes, our posture. That's going to be a key word today for Jesus, for the coming of Jesus. Now, we know he already came, but the celebration of of Jesus and who he is, that Jesus, this is what I love, one of the names that he's called in scripture, he's called Emmanuel. Why it's such a big deal that we celebrate Christmas every year is because of the meaning of that word. Emmanuel means God with us. It means the God of all of creation and the heavens and everything that he did, the God that was... uh, up in heaven, the trifold uh, trinity God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that God actually said, this is the time, this, what Christmas is all about, is me coming down to your level. Now, I don't know if you guys really understand the significance of that, is that we don't just worship some God that's far off, and he's a deity, and he's holy, and whatever. It's the God that decided to come down and get on our level, eye to eye. And it's not so much that he could understand us because he created us, he already knows us. It's that we could understand him. The, the God that loves us so much could come down in human form that we could understand and we could hear his message, his words. We could see the love. We could see the power he has to do all of this. And so Christmas signifies that God came to our level. Anybody in here got little kids? Anybody got little kids in here? That's good. I love little kids. This is what I love about my friends and this is how I know my friends really love me and they love my kids is when my kids were all little and they're only like half the height they are today, is it how many of my friends would go the extra mile to connect with my kids and talking to them? I love that. You love me, you love my kids, but they'd go the extra mile and they would get down on their knees and they would look the kids in the eye and and, and come to the level that they're at. And this is what Christmas is all about, is that God came down to our level to be real with us and show who he was. Isn't that cool? So we celebrate that. So in this series, we're gonna be talking about the, the four weeks leading up to that. And I wanna focus us on uh, different postures of worship. And we're gonna look at the story in Matthew chapter two. We're gonna be there today. And I'm gonna be over the next few weeks really just kind of taking apart verses one through 12, which is the story of the wise men. You guys all know that Jesus is born, the manger, the shepherds, the whole deal. We're gonna focus on the wise men and what they can teach us in the next four weeks leading up to Christmas about how we come to worship Jesus in our lives, how we would approach God, the posture that we would have in approaching him. So I wanna talk about that word for a minute real quickly, posture. You guys know what posture is? Posture basically means the position of your body as you're standing, as you're sitting, as you're laying down. It has to do with the position of your body, but also it has to do with the position of your uh, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally speaking, how you deal with something, your regards and your thoughts on something. It's the approach that you would take. So it's like, um, for me, there's different postures and, and postures have meanings that, that, that matter. I remember back going into school, like, um, for me, from elementary, elementary maybe not so much, but junior high all the way through high school, all the way up to the first two years of my college, my posture when I approached the classroom or education was, unless it was assigned seating, I was the guy that always took the 
seat in the back row. Is there anybody like that in here? That you're like back row? Like there's not many of us, but we're like a select few. And we choose to take the posture of hide in the back so I can sleep because I don't want to be here. School is a waste of time. And I'm just going to get as little of it as I possibly can. So from like all of intermediate, all of high school, even my first two years of college, and I got to admit to you guys, I went to Bible college So even in Bible college, I was like, back row, Carl. And I was like, yeah, I love Jesus. Whatever, I'm taking a nap, right? That's bad. But it wasn't until like my my, uh, third year of college that something snapped in me. And I said, wait a minute, hold on. I actually have a calling on my life. I actually love the Lord. I'm actually learning about him. I'm in Bible college. This is pretty awesome. And so I changed from back row, Carl, to front row, Carl. And I sat and my posture changed. I wasn't like slumped over my bag, hiding, eating, iPod or whatever. I was like sitting up straight taking notes, attentive, and you know what happened? I went from being like whatever grades I was getting before to straight A Carl. For like my final two years of of college, straight A's. You better clap for me on that one because not many of you can say that. But I went, and it all changed because of my posture, right? In that I watched this movie last night. Anybody see the Will Smith movie Hitch? Anybody ever remember that one where Will Smith is like a dating relationship consultant guy and he's trying to help all of these like screwed up nerdy guys like that try to actually get with women, try to actually have a real relationship and fall in love and all this, but they don't know how to. So one of the things, the scenes I was watching last night is he says, so much of our communication, this is true, is nonverbal communication. It's what we do with our our bodies and our hands and our, our posture, the position of our body and the gestures we make with our hands. So he's trying to help this guy to get to the point where he has the first kiss with this girl, right? And so he's saying this whole thing. is like, if you guys go up to the door and she gets her keys out, but she doesn't like unlock it, she's like fiddling with her keys and her posture is kind of like, then he's going, she's waiting for something. She's waiting, she's signaling non-verbally a posture of, hey, how are you gonna respond to me? So he's trying to coach this guy into like being like uh, confident, and head up and eyes out and look her in the eyes and, and lean in for the kiss and you go 90% of the way and then you pause and you wait for her to come the remaining 10%. Like he's all of this stuff. But the whole idea is that there's postures that set us up for further things. When I go out surfing into a, a new spot and there's a bunch of guys out, I realize that the, the posture, the approach that I take is gonna make the difference of me getting waves or not. I can slink to the back and feel like, oh, I'm, I'm not worthy because these are the locals out there. Or I can go in with confidence, go right up to people, but be friendly and be welcoming and, and be complimenting. And then I, I, it turns out it actually gets me more waves. And so posture is a big deal. And this is what I wanna talk about today and in the next four weeks to come is that, And if maybe you're taking notes that you would write down this one phrase here today, really simple. If you're going to go to your connect group and talk about anything that was said here today, whatever God's going to speak to your heart today, there's power in our posture. That's it. There's power in our posture. The way that we approach God, the way that we come to him, the attitude that we have, like some of us may not look like this physically, but in our spirit and in our heart, we kind of come to God like this, like... All right, let's see what you have for me today. Some of you guys, I'm not saying you're doing it now, but in your heart, you came, you're like, man, I had to wake up early. My wife made me come. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Let's see what I get out of this thing. And the approach and the posture of your heart is one of this. And some of us are here today and we're just, we're ready. We're leaning in. We're like, we need God. We're in a rough place in life right now. And you're just, you're all ears, you're all eyes, you're just, your heart, you're just ready to go. And there's power in our posture. So I want to talk about this today because I believe that in any relationship, Whatever's going on inside of you should naturally come out 
in the outward and should be an expression that in any relationship you're in right now, you, your friends, your, your spouse, your kids, is that I believe that if you have love for someone, that love should be shown and not just assumed. Can I get an amen to that? Because some of us, like, we know. We're like, hey, I'm putting that out there. I'm trying to love this. And I don't even see anything in return. And it hurts. And it's not, it's not healthy. That if you're in a relationship and you've got love or feelings for someone, you, you show it. You express it in a certain way. So we're going to be looking at that. There's power in our posture. Now, we're going to go into Matthew chapter 2. And I'm just going to read the first two verses of the story with the wise men here. And I want us to just kind of put ourselves in their mindset. So here's the Christmas story, the start of it. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is a small village in Judea. Judea is the land where Israel, all of, all of the Jewish people lived during the reign of King Herod. Now, let me just explain to you guys what's going on. The Jews all lived in this area, Judea. Herod was their king. He was king of the Jews, but really they were under Roman occupation at the time, meaning Rome had conquered all of these places. And so the Romans and the Roman Empire and, and Nero had actually, their, the Roman Empire was ruling the area, but they allowed for local government and local uh, leaders of the people. So King Herod was the Jewish king, but really they were under the Roman Empire. But now King Herod, here's the deal about him. You guys may know this in scripture. He wasn't a really nice guy. He did a lot of really good work and you can go to um, the Holy Land today and you can see a lot of the structures and there's stuff that still remains. King Herod was a great builder. He built a lot of buildings. He, he did a lot of big stuff, but he was also a cruel leader. He was cruel to the point of being jealous of anybody else trying to usurp his power or come into power around him to the point that it's noted in history that he killed several of his sons because he didn't want them to step up and take his power. He killed at least one of his wives that we know of, and he was kind of ruthless and cruel. And so this is kind of how Jesus is being born into this kind of infrastructure. The Jews were together, they worshiped their God, but they had this king that nobody really liked. He was only half Jewish anyway. He wasn't a full champion of the people. They didn't like him. And then Rome was kind of occupying and um, controlling the whole uh, situation at the time. So let's go in. This was Jesus born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, which was where the king was, the capital of Judea at the time, Jerusalem, near to Bethlehem. These wise men came. Now, just to kind of dispel any rumors, these guys were called magi. They, um, they were very learned and intellectual and scholarly people that they studied um, all of knowledge in, in, in history and they studied science and they studied magic and they were known as astrologers and astronomers and they studied the stars and the, holy, the, the solar system and just all of this stuff. So these are very smart people. And just to put the record straight, there wasn't just three of them. The fact that the Bible mentions that they brought three gifts, which we're gonna get into in a later week here, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, makes us think that, oh, three gifts, three men. But that wasn't really the deal, is what they, the commentators say, is that they would probably travel in a large company. Is that they all had a reason to believe that there's this Messiah, this long-awaited awaited anointed ruler that's gonna rise up from these Jewish people, and he's gonna have a dramatic impact in the world. And they heard that he was coming, that he was born. And so probably more like 20, 30, even 50 of them in a company came to visit baby Jesus. They didn't come like two days after baby Jesus was born in a manger. It probably took them several months up to maybe one or two years before they arrived thousands of miles away from India, from Persia, from Arabia, that they would make this journey and they would find baby Jesus. But here's what it said. I'm just trying to give you some background. Is that some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem and here's what they came asking. 
Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So these smart guys that study astronomy and all of this heard of all the prophecies that a ruler is going to rise from this Jewish people and transform the world. They heard about his influence, his reputation, his power. Even though he's just being born, they saw a star as they studied the heavens and they're like, whoa, there's a new star. It's coming from that angle, that direction. This must be the prophetic star that's going to rise that symbolizes this new ruler, this king of the Jews is going to be born. And so they traveled thousands of miles. It took them months, maybe even years to get there. But they came. Now here's why they came. This is the crux of the sermon today of this whole series that we're in. It says, we saw his star and we have come to worship him. And this is what I want to kind of just talk about in the next four weeks is our posture, different postures of worship. What are different postures that we have to worship God? Because we are so caught up in our consumer-minded world that Black Friday, Cyber Monday were the biggest ones that we've ever had in American history. Online, we sold up to 16 to 8, we bought 16 to 18% more stuff and spent more money than we did in any previous year, set records. We spent over, we, we all spent and shopped and bought online alone over $5 billion on Black Friday and on Cyber Monday, $6.5 billion American consumers spent on getting gifts. Now we love to get gifts and, and they say honestly about 75% of what was bought was for other people, which gives me hope for humanity that we actually care about one another and the majority of what we spend it on is for others, that's great. And we love gifts and we love getting gifts and we love Christmas and what that's all about. But these guys came thousands of miles away to come to this baby, not for any consumerism. What can I get from this king of the Jews? Because he was an infant or he was at the most a toddler. There's nothing that they could get from him. In fact, not only was he just this little kid, this little baby, but he was actually of the Jewish people who the cultures at that time looked down on the Jewish people. These are lowly, these are weird people. They have this belief in this one God and all of our, our religions and cultures, we believe in many gods and they're strange for their beliefs and they're a conquered people. Rome came over and then they conquered them. So these, who are these Jewish people? So they were looked down on. So there was no reason that these wise men traveled thousands of miles away to go, what can we get? What can we receive? They simply went with a question of what can we bring? We've come to worship this individual. We've heard of his greatness, his power, his reputation, the prophecies. Look, we're just here to give. And I wonder how many of us, we take the time to think about our prayers and the time we meet with God. I wonder what the percentage is in my life. One of the percentage that God sees of praise and thanks to him versus my wants and my needs is that we come, we have this consumer mindset. So many times our prayers and the times we meet with God, and it's okay, it's, it's rightly so, because God says, I'll meet your needs, come to me. But how many times do we just focus on the, I'm coming to church today because I need this. God, I'm praying to you today because I want this. And how much are we actually going, God, what can I give to you? Lord, in my prayers today, you know what? Never mind, I'm not even gonna pray for any needs or wants, God. I'm gonna spend my whole prayer time today just telling you how much I love you just reminding you that I'm your kid and I appreciate everything you've done for me. I just thank you that I'm just, I'm just in awe of you, God. You're just amazing. And I'm not even gonna talk about wants or needs right now. What can I give to you? See, and so that's what we're gonna be talking about here today. They simply came to worship. And I want you to catch this, the value of this word worship. 
Because we think worship, we, oh, I come and I sing some songs and that's cool and I worship. The, the reality of this word, I looked it up in the original uh, Hebrew language and it says, it, it signifies praise and deep adoration and, and utmost reverence and respect to the terms that the, the word used here actually means like a dog licking its master's hand. Any of you guys got pets in here? Who has a dog in here? You guys all have dogs, multiple dogs. And you know that like your dog, when it's like subservient to you, submitted to you, it comes and you come home and it's just so excited to see you. It's just like, ah, right? It's like licking your hand. You guys let your dogs lick you? Anybody in here? Yeah, yeah, come on, it's normal. Anybody let them lick your face? Come on, you love them enough. You don't even get, oh, Fido, you're so awesome, right? Come on, who's, who's the few really proud ones? You let them kiss you on the mouth. Come on, you know who you are. That's right, and you're proud of it, right? Because there's an intimacy. But here's what the word worship literally means. It's not just, I come in, sing a couple songs, and yeah, praise you, God. It's like, no way, that's so shallow. What it's saying is these people travel thousands of miles away. It's like a dog licking their master's hand. They're just like, yes, it's all you. Like, you give me my food. You walk me. You're like, ah. You're like, just like, you're so submitted. Like, any of you guys, like, you take off your socks, the dog licks your toe jams. Come on, you, you seen that before? Do I just have a weird dog? Like it's not even, it's my wife's dog, but if I take off my clothes, he comes over and he's like, I love everything about you, ah, you know? Like I will lick that every, right? And so here's this picture. I don't want to make light of it, but I want you to understand worship is a big deal. These guys travel all of this way, not because what's this little baby Jewish person going to give me? No, that wasn't even in their mind. It's like, man, we just want to say, we acknowledge who you are. This is heavy. Like we came all the way from there. Just, we saw your star. Oh my gosh, you're going to be someone big and huge. We've heard of your reputation. We, if we're just all out. We just want to worship you. And I think what God loves is when we have that heart for him that isn't so focused on all he can do for us. Because he can and he will and he wants to. But when we come to him just going, it's all you, God. So today we're going to talk about this. Today we're going to talk about the posture of lifting our hands to God. Because one of the most talked about ways that we worship God in the, in the nonverbal sense in scripture, because it says a lot of things, dance unto the Lord, clap your hands unto the Lord, all of these different things. But one of the ways that it talks about hundreds of times in scriptures is we lift our hands to God. It's a posture of worship. Now, let's be honest. How many of you guys, when you first came to our church and we have a freedom of lifting your hands, you thought the people around you were a little weird? Come on, be honest, right? It's weird, right? And we see all the lifting of the hands. What are these people doing? Are they trying to fly? Like, what's going on? Like, this is strange. And why do they want this attention? Why are they doing this, all this stuff for? I want to talk about that today. Because the Bible talks about that today. And it gives us a reason why we should be lifting our hands and encouraging us. Now, I want to talk about is that these, these, these wise men came to worship. It doesn't say that they worshiped by lifting their hands. But I think if you read all of Scripture, it's probably one of the main things that they did when they came to worship this little child was they raised their hands. I want to talk about the significance of this physical posture of raising your hands. But I want you to get this. It's not directly related to everybody should raise their hands and worship. I think there's depth to it, and I think it's gonna bless your life if you could practice that. But scripture never commands it of us. It never forces us to do it. I'm not gonna manipulate you and make you do it in church here. But I want you to get the value that when we see the outward expression that's a posture of the hands, it's really a posture of our hearts. So as we talk about lifting our hands, I want you to understand it's actually something spiritual going on with us. So let's talk about lifting our hands in, in Scripture because it's all over in the Bible. Psalm 63, verse 1 through 4. This is David. 
writing this. David wrote half the Psalms of the 150 Psalms. He wrote about 75 of them. Now, David wasn't only the little kid that defeated the, the giant Goliath. He grew up, he was the greatest king of Israel. God actually says, he's a man after my own heart. So David is like awesome, he's like amazing. But he was also not just a mighty warrior and fighter and king, but he was like a worship leader. He played the harp and he wrote all of these songs that are worship songs and poetry to God in the Psalms. And I want you to catch his feelings about God and, and how it has to do with raising our hands. It says, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. See, here's the deal. Some of you guys are in a place right now where you're not physically in a parched and weary land. You're not like living out in the hills of Eva Beach or something like that. But you're, you have like a, a your, your life is, you're not living in a, a real dry, parched and weary land, but you're hurting. Like your soul is hurting because there's a relationship that's like just, just ravaged you and it's hurting so bad. Or maybe it is a physical thing that you're going through or finances and you're like, it's hard to take a breath. I have so much anxiety. And here's David going, God, you're so good when my life is in those seasons of just weary and just parched and hurting and depression and whatever. I just, I just need you. I just want you. I'm thirsty. For, I'm hungry for you. I just want you, oh God. He says, I've seen you in your sanctuary and I've gazed upon your power and glory. God, I've seen you at work. I've seen how good you are. I've seen the, the power that you have and I'm just focusing on you right now. He says in verse three, your unfailing love is better than life itself how I praise you. Do you guys get the, the, the depth of that statement right there? Think about your whole life right now. Just replay your whole life. All of the amazing memories that you have. All of the super cool gifts that people have brought you. The little experiences when you're a child, the first time you went to Disneyland or, you know, like the awesome family, the people that love you in your life, the life lessons you've learned, the people you've married, the kids you've had, the trips you've been on, all of the good things, the promotions, the, the, all of the stuff that you have. Think of all of the amazing experiences of life and here's what David said. When I consider all of that, he says, your unfailing love is better than all of that. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. Like all that stuff is amazing, but you're behind it all. You're better. And then he says this in verse four, I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. Let me tell you this. When I was in youth camp, when I was about seventh or eighth grade, is when I learned to raise my hands in worship. When we get together and we sing, I learned to raise my hands. And I had been a Christian for, since I was a little kid. My parents are pastors, so I sat in a million church services and worship and all that. I saw people raising their hands. I just, I didn't really understand it. I didn't know what it was all about and stuff. And I knew God. I made a commitment when I was a little kid. Man, Jesus loved me. He died for me. He wants to make my life better. Take me to heaven. I'm in. That's easy, right? Jesus is awesome. But it wasn't until I was about 13, 14 years old that I was at a, a youth camp. And the worship leaders with all the youth groups said, hey, we're going to worship God and we're going to do it real. God says spirit and in truth, we're going to be all in today. And I want to encourage you maybe to try a different posture of worship. And he, he didn't force us to. He just says, if you feel like it, let's lean in and maybe try something to get you a little more out of your comfort zone and really press into God. And, and I just urge you, if you feel like it, just raise your hands right now. Like Pastor Trevor said that this morning. If you feel comfortable, lift your hands to God. Sometimes we need that nudge, right? So I'm like eighth grade. And you got to picture me in seventh or eighth grade. Braces, acne. I had a flat top for some reason. It was cool at the time. Just super underweight, skinny. Like I'm skinny now, but I was really skinny then. Like just full on like, like dorky. Anybody remember your junior high years? And you just want to forget about them, right? So that's me at this youth camp in this, in this youth youth leader or whatever is going, hey, let's all just worship and let's raise our hand. And I was like, 
oh, what? This is like different. This is new. I don't know if I can do that. Everyone's looking at me like I, I have acne, you know, like I, I have a flat top. Like, you know, I don't want people, I'm not trying to draw attention, but he just nudged me. Your posture has power. And so take a different posture. Let's just try it if you feel comfortable. And I remember this. It's all like self-conscious and insecure and everything, but I love Jesus and I'm singing and I'm like, oh, maybe I think I'm just going to try this thing. I'm going to try this thing. And I was all scared and who's looking at me and that girl's so cute. I hope she doesn't see me. What am I doing right now? And I remember just singing and worshiping and suddenly like freedom came. Like the outward posture that I chose actually affected my heart and said, be bold and worship God. And let me tell you this, as an eighth grade kid or seventh grade, whatever it was, I had love for Jesus. I loved the Lord. I was in a safe place at camp. It was Christians and everything. But the moment I got out of my comfort zone and I just began to worship God and take a posture of worship, it's like I leveled up. Anybody play video games in here? You know what it's like when you beat the boss and you level up, boop, 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 and you get bigger and stronger and you get more guns or whatever. I swear, my Christian walk was like, I love God. And then I just took a step of faith to go, I'm gonna show it a little bit more. And it's like I leveled up, like, oh, I really love God. God really loves me. And it was just a powerful moment. I'm gonna tell you this. I've made it a practice in my life from then on to raise my hands. Now, again, I'm not forcing you on the physical act. I believe it helps. The Bible says it does. But again, this is a, a posture of your heart because you can't be lifting your hands all day long everywhere you go. Like, I, I, I'm encouraging you, do not drive down the driveway with your hands up in the car because... <laughs> Knee driving doesn't work that good as much as we think it does. Anybody try that? You drive with your knees. Come on, you're on the phone and you're like, no one knows. No, but that's bad. We can't always be lifting our hands physically. But the same feeling that I got or I get from this posture of worship, I want to carry around with me in my heart when I can't lift my hand. Like I'm not walking into school. Hey guys, how's it going, teacher? You're like, yeah, you know, you're not doing that. But inside your heart, what can I bring to you, God? Man, I want to bring a posture that enhances my love for God. Does that make sense, guys? Let me move on real quickly. Here's another verse in, in 1 Timothy in the New Testament. Paul is instructing Timothy in his church congregation in Ephesus. He says, here's what Paul says. It's a real urging. It's not a command, but it's, he urges. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. He's a strong encouragement like, hey, you guys should lift your hands and worship. Have a posture of worship that is, is hands lifted up. Now, there's places in scripture when it says the word men, and it's really regarding mankind, humanity, men and women. This isn't one of those places. This is a place where Paul is directly talking to the male gender, the men, because all throughout the rest of the Bible, God calls us as men to be leaders to be leaders of our family, to step up and to lead. And I believe he's targeting men right here because we have the hardest time sacrificing and submitting our male ego to anybody else and letting anybody else be in control. So he goes, hey, I'm speaking to the men directly here. He's telling Timothy, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands to God, to take a position and a posture of worship to me because you have the hardest time worshiping anything else. And so he's speaking to men here. Here's what I want you to know. I'm, I'm speaking to men right now, specifically in the audience, because I preach this to myself, because this is what the word says. Is if I'm called to lead my family, if you're called to lead your family, you want your wife, you want your kids to honor God, to submit to God, to read the Bible, to see the importance of Christian fellowship, to pray, to know who God is in their life, to make right decisions. Here's the charge. You go first. That's a call out from God to us. Is it you want your family, your community, the people that look to you for influence, 
to be worshipers of God, guess what? You need to be a worshiper of God. I want men everywhere to lift holy hands unto God. Whether it's physical or it's a heart, if you want your family to know the God that you know, you better go first. Amen? Okay, that's enough stepping on toes for the men. We're going to go into the next part here. But I believe that's powerful when he says that to the men. And here's another word in that, in that verse. I want you to pray with holy hands lifted up to God. <clears throat> that means this. Holy is not a word that means spiritual and religious and you go to church all the time and you're perfect and you read your Bible. Holy means nothing more than you're set apart for God's purposes and God's purposes alone. So that means when I'm lifting holy hands, my hands are only going up, they're not going out. That means... I'm worshiping God alone and not God and God, I'm here today. I'm worshiping you, but the hands like towards that girl in the third row, she's super cute, God, and I would, I would love to talk to her after worship today. You know, like no, holy means set apart for God's purposes alone. That means that when I'm worshiping God, it's like God, focus on you, but not one hand up here and one hand on my wallet, which controls my money and my power and one hand's in my pocket. It's not one hand to God and one hand pointing back at me because I'm pretty awesome too. God, I love you, God, but I'm a self-made man. Look at how cool I am. Look at all this stuff. I've, it's holy hands set apart for God's use only. God, you're the source of everything. Does that make sense? That's what holy means is that we're just set apart for him. <clears throat> so I'm going to give you three things right now. What holy hands, what lifted hands means. Why it's such a big deal that <clears throat> we encourage it. The Bible encourages it. The first one is this. It means this. Lifted hands is a response to who God is. Plain and simple. Someone does something good for you, you respond. Someone treats you to lunch, you're not going to be like, yeah, you better treat me because I'm hungry. Right? You're gonna, someone treats you to lunch, you're going to be like, oh, thank you so much. Really? Are you sure? Hey, can I do something for you? If someone blesses your life, you respond to it. And so here's what Psalm 141 says. Is, is the psalmist is writing, oh, Lord, I'm calling to you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offering. What's happening here is the psalmist is saying, I'm lifting my hands to honor you, to praise you, to give you worth and, and glory and gr gratitude and the thanks that de that's deserved. Next time you're in, in worship and we're singing and you're like, should I raise my hands? Should I really posture my heart of praise towards God? Here's a simple reminder. Write down this little, little question to ask yourself or a little phrase as it is. Because of God in my life, I am or I have. And, and answer that question as to should I worship him? Should I give him my all? When you start answering that question, because of God in my life, I have or I don't have, it changes the way you worship. When you remind yourself why you're thanking God. When you are sitting in worship here today, we've got one song at the end of service and you're going, should I give God my all? Should I posture myself to worship him? Think about this. Because of God, I am not going to hell. Because of God in my life, he's changed my attitude and I don't dwell in anger and bitterness and resentment towards those people in my life anymore. Man, I'm free from that stuff. Because of God in my life, I don't give in to selfish desires and lustful thoughts and things that would totally blow my life up and, and just booby trap me. Because of God in my life, I have forgiveness, I have healing, I have freedom. I'm not walking in the, the, the depths of sin and shame and despair anymore. Because of my God in my life, I raise my hands and I praise you. Does that make sense? That the psalmist is going, I lift my hands in praise to you to show you that I can't contain all that you've done for me. I know what you've done for me. I gotta praise you. I gotta praise you. I'm not that same person anymore. And the other thing I see in here, which is so cool, is as he's praising and lifting his hands, he's saying, I cry to you for help. 
which when you raise your hands, here's what you're responding to. God, you're the source of my love, my strength, my protection, my provision. I don't look at anything else. God, it's you alone. See, a lot of us in here, we have kids or we were kids once and we remember this. Is that when you're a little kid, you can't control everything in your life and you look to your mom or your dad for support. They're the strength of, of provision, of everything. I went to the movies the other night. We watched Justice League, right? And my family and a bunch of the kids from church and stuff, we watched Justice League and I brought my nine-year-old along, Sammy. And I, man, I love when my kids are little and their hands are up and they want daddy to hold them. And halfway through the movie, Sammy got a little scared of whatever and, and she was um, tired. She goes, dad, can I, can I sit on your lap? And I'm thinking, yeah, you can, but you're like nine now. Like your legs are like this long. Like it's, how are you gonna do that? Like you're, you're big, you know, you're not three anymore. But the other part of me, which is a dad, is like, I love when my kids ask me to hold them and to, you know, because here's what I'm thinking. She crawls up onto my lap, somehow it works and I'm like holding her or whatever. But I'm thinking, I don't know how many more times I get to have this in my life because she's growing and she's getting bigger and she's getting more independent. So God, thank you for this time right now, right? So she climbs up, she's on my lap, and it's inconvenient. Like my right butt cheek is asleep, and it's like, no, no, ah, ah. But on the other hand, I'm like, man, I love this. I don't know how much more times this is gonna be. And see, there's something to be said for knowing where the source of all your strength, your comfort, your provision is. I'm scared in the movie, and I'm tired. My dad is the answer, right? And so I remember a time not too long ago, several years ago, when Sammy was younger. She was mad at us, mad at me and mom because we wouldn't let her do something. I don't know what it was. She's mad. She tells us, I'm angry at you. I'm mad. I'm like, fine, go to your room. I don't want to hear you complaining. I was going there anyway, right? And she's like mad. She's stomping towards it. She bah, stubs her toe, goes down on the ground, and she's super mad at mom and dad. But the instant the pain comes, you know what she does? She turns around, daddy, like from hatred, bitterness, to like full on, like, you are my provision, you're the only source. And I was like, yeah, that's right, right? So I scoop her up. But here's what the psalmist is saying. Man, I praise you. The reason I lift my hands is because I'm saying help. Some of you guys have stubbed your toe in a big way in, in, in your life right now and things are hurting. And you're like, well, I don't know, should I praise my, yes. He's the provision. He's the strength. Daddy, please help me. So I love that. It's a response to who God is. I got to pick up the pace a little bit. Here's the second point is. Lifting our hands reminds us that we win by losing. Now, this is a real simple one. Jesus taught it himself. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Raising our hands, two of the main reasons we lift our hands throughout history, outside of the church, two of the main reasons is we lift our hands in victory. Because we're like, yeah, we won. You know, the boxer waiting the decision and the judges have said, you know, ding, 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 and you lift a hand, right? Or you win a battle or a sports game or what happens when you're watching football and your sports team scores a touchdown? You're like this, even at home. Yeah, right. Hands go up, victory, right? But in the same sense, one of the often most used reasons we raise our hands throughout history is it's a sign of surrender. Like when your enemy's got you, you're attacking, you don't, oh, hands up. Okay, I give, I give. Look, no weapons, nothing, you give. Now here's the amazing thing about why we raise our hands in worship is simultaneously at the same time, Jesus is saying, you win by losing. You have victory by surrender and it's the same motion. And when I'm sitting here in the front row, I'm raising my hands, that's what I'm thinking is God, I, I actually win all of you by dying to myself, by surrendering myself to you. That's the only way that it works. Look, somebody came to me last Friday night. Let me tell you this story. This is super cool. 
They've been getting closer to God. They've been fired up coming to church, trying to read their Bible, listening to different, you know, podcasts and archives and stuff of the sermons. They're just like on fire for God. They just recently came back because for a while they went astray into drugs and depression and actual suicide. Pastor Carl, I've been, I've been, I was thinking of killing myself. It was super bad. But they're back now. They're on track. They're fired up. And he said, I'm, I'm on fire for God and I love God, but I'm, one thing I struggle with is my name. I said, why? What, what's your name? He told me his first name. I'm like, Dude, your first name is pretty awesome. It means you're a man that's, that's chasing after God. It basically says that you, you live for Christ. What the meaning of your name is, that's good. I'm like, why are you bummed about that? He goes, no, my, my first name means live for Christ, but my middle name is in the actual cultural heritage and the meaning in my culture that you can directly translate it. It basically means kill yourself. And he goes, you know, I was suicidal and I feel like, is that a curse on my life and all this stuff? And Holy Spirit just told me this instantly. He goes, that's amazing. That's awesome. Let's redeem that name in, in Jesus' name right now. Here's what your name means. Your first name means I live for Christ. Your middle name means you're dead to yourself. That's exactly the place where God wants every Christian to be, is that simultaneously when I raise my hands in worship, surrender. I die to myself because Carl Moore is an idiot and makes dumb decisions on his own. But at the same time, victory in Jesus Christ who bought me back, who makes something special of my life, who forgives me and says I have victory in him for all of eternity. You guys get what I'm saying here? Like lifting our hands is a bigger deal than we give it credit for and we think about. It's not weird when you understand the context. Now here's the, the third thing that lifting our hands does is that lifting our hands is actually better and stronger when we do it together. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, favorite passages, Exodus 17, 10 through 13. This is Moses, the man of God, leading all of the Israelites into the promised land, the land of milk and honey, the land of Canaan. And Moses is their leader. But in order for them to settle and conquer in that area, they have to throw down. They have to beef. They have to fight with different nations. Amalekites were one of the nations that was always fighting against the Israelites. And God said, I'm going to give you victory over them, but here's how you're going to do it. You're going to go out to battle tomorrow morning. And Moses, you're the leader. So here's what I want. If your focus is on me, you're going to win. If it's on your own strength, you're not going to win. So he goes, I want you to take the staff of God that Moses used to crack open the rocks and bring the, the, the water flowing out and all that to provide. He goes, I want you to hold that high. I want you to hold your hands up high. When you lift your hands up in the battle, Joshua's gonna be down there leading the armies. You guys are gonna win. And so this is the story really quickly. Listen to this about lifting up hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. So it's Moses and he had a couple other guys with him. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So when Moses' hands grew tired, because there's times in life when we get tired, not just the posture physically of lifting hands, but in your heart, the weight of your faith and the world coming down on you, and you're not always taking that posture of praise and worship to God. But he says, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other so that his hands remained steady, that's important right there, until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Here's the, what that word right there, remain steady. It means steadfast, firm, stable, and faithful. So I wanna tell you, there's gonna be times in your life when you don't feel like taking a posture of lifting your hands. And the posture in your heart of worshiping God feels like it's getting weaker and the hands are coming down and the heart's like, God, where are you? You don't know what I'm going through right now. This is, this is painful. I'm being defeated right now. This hurts. This is where you need to make sure that you got other people in your life that are coming alongside the errands and the hers and going, Carl, you got this one. 
Hey, here's a prophetic word for you, Carl, and your life. Hey, let me, let me feed you some scripture to remind you God's got a plan for your life. Hey, Carl, let me just remind you he's a good God. He has everything under control. Let's lift those hands back up. Some of you guys have those people in your life that the reason you're in church here today is because one of those, Aaron or her, the people on the side, have had to drag you to church so that you could get to the place where you're close enough to God again to lift your hands on your own. And see, the beauty of lifted hands isn't that God ever calls any of us to on our own, our whole life, be responsible for lifting our own hands up. God's about community, relationship, kingdom, family, unity. He's about all of us coming together and being the kind of people and having the kind of people in our lives that when the hands are getting weary, someone else would come along and hold those hands up for you. I'm gonna end with this story. I talked about the youth camp I went to way back in the day that kind of taught me and nudged me into raising my hands. There's this one song we used to sing at every camp from my junior high and high school years. This one song that they always used to bust out at camp and it was always like almost a go-to like kind of like emotional song. And it was, in some ways we thought, oh no, here comes the song. We knew when they started playing it, we're like, oh boy, here we go. Kind of cheesy, right? Kumbaya, here we go. But it was actually a powerful song. It was called the family song. And I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember in our church or whatever, but we, we all would say, uh, here we are singing together as a family. Um, and the whole deal was in this song, they would always say, let's all hold our hands together and let's sing this as a family together. And that's like super like kumbaya cheesy, right? I'm like, oh man, like when you're a teenager, like you don't want to hold other people's hands, right? Unless it's the girl that you had your eye on and you happen to be sending, shoots, hold hands, yeah. Fingers, the whole deal, yeah, right? But if you're with your boys, you're like, ah, you gotta hold my hand. Like, no, you hold my hand. Like, Ugh. it's weird. You're a teenager, right? But here's the deal. Once that song started and we started singing this, we started getting into what the words are saying. We're singing, Abba, Father, worthy is your name. You know what happened invariably every single time? No one forced us to, manipulated us, told us to. Slowly, everybody would hold hands and we'd raise them up to God together. It was like community. It's like we're worshiping God, but we also know that we got the strength of our brothers and sisters around us. And you know what happened? Tears started flowing. Even on cynical, skeptical little high school kids, we're just like, oh, we couldn't help it. Right? Oh, this is so good. God loves me. And, and after the end of the song, all kind of confessions are coming out. Like Tom, Tom, Pastor Tom said his older brother came one day and she said, Tom, I'm sorry for beating you up all those years. And he goes, yeah, it's okay. Right? right? And all the confession and love is coming out. And my friend's going like, Carl, keep me accountable. I want to serve Jesus every day. I'm like, me too. Yeah. And we're just like, oh, we're just a mess because here's the deal. There's power in the posture. And when we came to the point where we don't care, we're gonna worship God for all he is and we're gonna do it together with the family of God holding us together. Man, there was no better feeling. And I remember that song, every time we'd sing that at camp, it was always the same response because there's power in our posture. I want you guys to walk out of the service today knowing that when we're lifting hands up to God, it's not so we can get attention, it's so that we can give attention to the one that deserves it all. There's power in our posture. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray right now. Lord, I pray, Father God, this morning that you would allow us to see how important it is to worship you. And Lord, help us to pick uh, the right posture of worship and praise unto you. Lord, whether it's literally lifting our hands in our worship songs together, or it's just that posture of our heart wherever we're at throughout the day, is that we're just we're signifying that you and you alone are worth living for, that you're the only source of strength. You're our daddy, that when things go wrong, we can lift our hands to you and you're gonna come and help us. And that Lord, as, as we're lifting our hands and we're lifting our hearts, it's a sign of our surrender of ourselves and our power and our control 
but it's also showing that we have victory in you and in you alone. And Lord, help us to be a people that we get involved in the connect groups and the ministries of the church and friendships and relationships where people are holding up our arms when we cannot have the strength to hold them up on our own. And that, Lord, we'd be doing the same for other people. I pray that you would move us to becoming a people that truly worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, whatever that looks like, whatever physical posture we have to take to get there, Lord, you want our hearts. Lord, so, so bring us into that stage in the midst of Christmas season that's all about consumerism and giving and getting and all that, Lord. What can we bring you? How can we worship you with our lives? So I want to say a prayer right now with every eye closed and head bowed. If you're someone that wants to take a step towards Jesus today, then maybe you've heard about God, you know about church, maybe you've even read some of the Bible, but you've never really made the commitment to be all in and to, to worship this God that is so good. You don't really know how good God can be because you've never really given him room in your life to really go for it. You've never given him permission because you're still holding on to yourself and your own control. If today is the day for you to turn over a new leaf, to level up, to come into a relationship with God that says, God, I'm taking a risk here. I'm gonna follow you and your ways. I'm gonna surrender my life to you so that I can have victory in my life with you. If that's what you'd like to do, I'd love to lead you in a prayer right now, a simple prayer. It's the start of a new relationship where you know God and he loves you and new stuff's gonna happen in your life. But I wanna lead you in a simple prayer that would just introduce you to him and you kind of acknowledge that you're gonna go his way from here on out and watch what God can do. If you'd like to say this prayer with me, it's a prayer to become a Christian, to know it, to live it, to accept all of the amazing blessings that God has for you as he changes your life and your perspectives and your posture. If you'd like to do that and you'd like to pray this prayer, it's simple, it's just the start, it's the introduction. You go on and you live your life for God, but this is the, the start of it, the heart decision, the heart commitment. I'm gonna pray a prayer out loud in a, in a few minutes here. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer to make God the God of your life, the Father, Jesus, the Savior, just the Lord, his love, his forgiveness. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. I'm gonna ask you to pray it quietly in your heart, not out loud. There's a lot of people around you might be kind of scared to do that, but I want you to pray the words I pray out loud. You pray it under your breath in your heart to God, he hears you, he's gonna change your life starting right now, I promise you that. Before we pray that prayer, I wanna ask you to do one thing, and that's just to let me know that we're praying here together. Everybody's eyes are closed, seated around you, nobody's looking, but I just wanna know who I have the privilege of leading this incredible prayer that's gonna change everything. Who in this room do I get to lead you in that prayer? And I want you to let me know by right now, before we pray, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Carl, I wanna pray that prayer with you right now. Good, I see one hand up over there, praise God. I see a hand in the back, I see you, I see you, sir. I'm looking around, would you just lift your hand if that's you making a commitment here today? And this is the best decision you'll ever make. I see that hand in the back, I got you right there. Anybody else, come on, step of faith. You know God's doing something in you. I see those hands, I see another hand over there. Look, if you're in the courtyard or in the room, or even if it's online, God sees you. We just wanna acknowledge that, all the hands in the room. Awesome, if that was you that raised your hand, go ahead and put it down. I just want you to pray this with me. I'll pray it out loud, you just pray it quietly in your heart, under your breath to God right now. Here we go. God, I come to you right now in this holy moment. This moment changes everything. Lord, I don't even know the depth of what that means, but I'm excited and I'm expecting that you're gonna help me out and you're gonna change some things in my life. Right now, Lord, I'm telling you, I surrender myself to you. My will, my ways, my decisions, Lord. From here on out, I trust you. I wanna listen to you as I read your word good for me to go to church and meet the rest of the family that can help hold my hands up lord as i as i get to know your holy spirit that cleanses me changes me 
just makes me a new creation, does things incredibly supernaturally in my life that I couldn't do on my own. Lord, I believe that your son Jesus paid the price for me so that I could come to know you and be in relationship with you. So God, bottom of my heart, my answer here today, everything that you have for me, my answer is yes. Yes, Jesus. Do what you need to do in my life. I will follow you all of my days. Thank you for being my God, my father, my savior, my king, and my best friend. From here on out, I will serve you. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Amen. Can we pray? Praise God with those people right now. Made that decision. Amen.